Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Good evening. Uh, As promised, we're going to be doing part two of our lesson this morning, which we found ourselves entirely in the book of Hebrews. We will do the same again tonight. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to start in just a moment in chapter two, Hebrews chapter two. Several years ago, uh, I was conducting some Bible studies in homes uh, in, in Florida where we were living. And one of the couples that participated came from a mixed religious background. Uh, he had what was and, and still was a, a Baptist at the time, and his wife had grown up Catholic. It was Kenny and Lori. And Kenny was very concerned about Lori's salvation, and so he I was one of the only preachers that he knew, so he had me sit down and study with Lori, and of course, I was glad to do that, and Lori ended up being baptized into Christ, and and it was wonderful, and everyone celebrated, and uh, Kenny didn't really see a need to do anything about his his standing before the Lord. He felt confident in in his walk, uh, but he was very concerned about her, so she became a Christian. And about two months later, Kenny gives me a call because he's concerned that his wife believes she can lose her salvation. She's living not in fear, but in awareness that she needs to live a good life, a sinless life as much as is possible. She needs to live for the Lord. And that is not at all Kenny's understanding of things. And so he wants me to sit down and study with her and show her why she's wrong. And I said, Kenny, she's not wrong. What do you mean she's not wrong? Well, she could, if she decided, walk away from the Lord and, and not be saved, not go to heaven. No, 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 no. We're, we're going to study this out. I said, okay. I said, you choose the material we'll study, and we'll study it out. And so he pointed me to a book by a guy named Charles Stanley that's called Eternal Security. Excellent little uh, explanation of that particular doctrine. And I sat down and ordered a copy and uh, read through it and made notes all the way through it. And I sat down with Kenny and we basically went through chapter by chapter and I showed him some of the places where it was teaching correctly and some of the places where it was not teaching correctly. And we looked through several different examples, took me about 20 minutes and he goes, okay, fine. That, that's not true. So if that's not true, how can I know I'm saved? Because his understanding of salvation was that he did absolutely nothing in order to gain salvation, and therefore he could do absolutely nothing in order to lose salvation. There is a a difficulty between people from various different religious backgrounds on both how do we gain salvation Can you lose your salvation? And either way, how can you have confidence in your salvation? 
And that last piece we talked about this morning from the book of Hebrews. And we built a case, I think, through the book of Hebrews of the fact that we are to have confidence in our salvation, but our confidence is based on his work, not based on our work. So what role does our work play in this process? What's interesting to me is that in this book, Charles Stanley says there are three passages we need to deal with when it comes to believing you can't lose your salvation. You know what those three passages are? Hebrews 2, Hebrews 6, and Hebrews chapter 10. And so we're going to look at those three passages tonight and make sure that we have an understanding of what is actually being said, and should we have fear of losing our salvation, and if so, under what circumstances should that fear exist? And the first one we're going to look at is here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. I, would, I put the verse on the screen from the translation I'm reading from, but I would encourage you to open it up in your own Bibles, because we're going to camp here for a few minutes after we leave this screen. So Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 2, 3, and 4. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, And it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders and various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. Now the part that is difficult for people, and and I'm, I'm not picking on those who believe in eternal security. I'll be honest, I think these three passages are difficult for those who don't believe in eternal security are once saved, always saved. But the part that we struggle with is this part right there at the beginning of verse three. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now that so obviously says, if we've neglected this salvation that was delivered to us by such an amazing method, we won't be saved. That's the implication there. And and if not even a hard to understand implication, that's kind of the slap you in the face truth of this particular passage of scripture. You've got the comparison given here that the old law was given through angels. And that's kind of an odd concept to us because we think of the old law being written, voiced by God and written by the finger of God on those tablets of stone. But the Hebrew writer says this happened through angels. And when the angels gave this law, it was binding, it revealed their sins. The purpose of it was to cause them to recognize they needed saving. That was the whole point of the old law, to bring us to Christ, who is our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who makes us good. Now, In contrast to that, the new law, the one that we have, is given not by angels, but by the Lord himself. So if a law given by angels is binding, how much more so is a law given by the Lord himself? 
If a law that was given by angels had the ability to reveal our needs, how much more so does a law given by the Lord himself? But here's where the real difference is. The new law also reveals our salvation. It reveals we can be saved. It reveals that even though it shows us our sins, it also shows us the solution to our sins, and that's important. But the problem is, we end up falling short of this new law, according to this passage, because of neglect. How will we escape if we neglect, if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, I'm we're going to basically build the case for three different problems that, can, that should steal our confidence. Okay? One is, if we have decided to neglect or disregard or put aside the new law. We've decided we no longer want this. Now, in the context of the book of Hebrews, he is speaking to those who were Jews who came to Christ but have decided it's not worth it and they are going back to the old law. They are going back to Moses' law, the one given by angels. Well, that, why would you go back to that when what we have is so much greater? For us, we're not shrinking back to an old system or an old law. Most of us have only known the new law. So what we do is we shrink back to the world. When we decide we no longer want this, this law delivered by Jesus, we would rather have what we had before. We, we, we are willing to put aside this new covenant and the rules and the regulations and the requirement and the, the, the expectations of the new covenant for the sake of suing the world. Well, then we have neglected the law. We have neglected its purpose. We have put it aside. And, and when we do that, we cause ourselves to have worry. I, I don't know that any of us would disagree with that. I, I, if we knew somebody who they had come to Christ, they'd been baptized into Christ, and they were living for Christ, they, they, they had made the sacrifices necessary, they had made the commitment they had, they had come and confessed fully that they believed that Jesus was the Lord, the Son of God, and that they were committing to following him the rest of their days. And then a year later, you haven't seen them. You, you haven't spoken to them. They've cut off all ties with you. They're very obviously living in the world again. They have put aside what they committed themselves to for the sake of doing things their way. I don't think any of us struggle with that. I don't think any of us have a problem understanding that they have, God has allowed them to choose the world instead of forcing them to choose him. You know, we can fall short because of maybe we just, we, we quit committing ourselves to knowing the law, to obeying the law, to living by the law. But if we decide we no longer want this, and we want to go back to what we had before, how will we escape in those circumstances? 
That's what's being taught here. And I don't, oh, not again. It's been a while, though, so that, that's good news. I'm, we need to tape the battery in this thing. That would help out immensely. So um, we, we, we go back to this, this, this concept of that honestly is fair. That is the fair way for God to treat us. If God is willing to say, okay, you've made a commitment, but you've got to continue with your commitment. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to... To, to, to carry you along. I'm not going to make you obey. You have to choose to obey. And when we choose not to, we've neglected the law. I do want you to notice here, that is not saying you have fudged, you have messed up, you have made a mistake along the way, You've had a, a rash decision that was the wrong decision. We're not talking about sinning uh, on, on, on occasion. We're talking about neglecting the commitment. And those are two very different scenarios. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. It is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because, to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. Now, Again, uh, we'll, we'll talk about each piece of this in a moment, but I, I don't know how you read that passage of Scripture and, and believe you cannot walk away from God. It is as descriptive as it gets. This is somebody who has experienced the good things that come from belonging to Christ. They are enlightened. This is somebody who enlightened is the idea that they have had their light bulb come on. They have understanding. They have, the, they, they have knowledge and awareness and recognition of what the truth is. They have tasted the heavenly gift. That seems to be in reference to the fact that this, this redemption, this cleansing, this ability to be holy because he makes us holy. They have shared in the Holy Spirit, which is part of what we gain when we are baptized. They have tasted the good words and the powers of the age to come. I mean, they, they, they've experienced the blessings that come from belonging to Christ. And they have fallen away. They're no longer there. They are no longer enlightened. They are no longer tasting the heavenly gift. They are no longer sharing in the Holy Spirit. They have, they have disregarded the good word. They have, they have rejected the powers of the coming age. They have done away with all of that. And because they do away with it, they are, in God's eyes, re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him in contempt. That is descriptively horrible. That somebody could experience all those blessings and then walk away from it. 
And so I would argue that our confidence is stolen whenever we find ourselves in rebellion to what God has offered. When we decide to show contempt for Jesus, when we decide not just that that we love him, but we failed for the moment, but that we do not love him anymore. When, when we go to that extreme, or as Second Peter chapter 2 talks about, we, we have been enlightened. Uh, well, turn over there with me real quick. Hold your spot in, in Hebrews. But Second Timothy chapter 2, there's this really descriptive passage about falling away. For if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Chapter 2, verse 21, For it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a washed sow returns to wallowing in the mud. That, that, that's the description here. It's like a pig you've taken out of the pig pen and you have sprayed it down and cleaned it up and immediately what it does is it goes back to the pig pen and starts rolling around in the mud and muck well that that's horrible or a dog who has struggled with its with its stomach and has decided to dispel the the content of his stomach on the ground and then three minutes later, you turn around and the dog is over there licking it back up and swallowing it. And we all look at that and go, oh, why would a dog do that? Well, why would we? Spiritually speaking, why would we? If God has done the work of clean, cleansing us, making us pure and holy and wonderful and right before him, if God has, has, has washed us clean and, and made us what we were intended to be, and yet we go back and wallow in that mire, or we go back and we lick up that vomit, that, that's what we're talking about here in Hebrews. Somebody who has rejected God's way, so when we choose a life of sin over God, then we can't be renewed. It is impossible, it says, to renew to repentance those who do this. That doesn't mean it's not possible to repent. It means that it is impossible to renew them to repentance. Here's what that means. And maybe you've had this experience like I have over the years. Uh, you're, you're talking with a brother, he's, he's been a Christian for 20 years, and he's decided he no longer loves his wife, and he's going to walk out on her, and he's going to go fulfill the desires of the flesh in some other way. And here's a man who's known the truth, he's lived by the truth, he has tasted what comes from living by the truth, and yet he decides, for whatever reason, He's leaving this, and he's going to go fulfill the desires of the flesh. 
What do you go say to someone like that? What do you do? What are you going to share with them? What truth are you going to put in their, their laps that they don't already know and haven't already rejected? I mean, they didn't make that decision to reject God in a vacuum or in ignorance. This is somebody who decided, I am disregarding God. I am showing contempt for God. I am rebelling against God to go pursue this thing of my own. What do you, what do you tell them to get them to repent? I mean, you're, you're not going to share information with them that's going to all of a sudden make things click in their head that have never clicked before. I, I don't think. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try, but I, I don't know what that is because I've been in this situation having to have these hard conversations. So what do you share with somebody in that case? This is why it's saying it, it's impossible to make them fresh for repentance at this point. They know what is right, and they have rejected what is right. So there's not much you can do. When somebody has been showered with every advantage that comes from belonging to Christ, and then, instead of pursuing Christ, they decide to pursue the world instead, what blessing are you going to put in front of them to motivate them to come back to Christ? It's a difficult thing to do in that case. And that what the Hebrew writer is saying is, particularly to his audience, you are people who have been enlightened. You know what comes with belonging to Christ. Why are you rejecting the good stuff of Christ for the okay stuff of the old law? Uh, what, what am I going to share with you that you don't already know? How am I going to help you? The truth is, when we, when we understand that there are great things that, belong to, to, that, that come with belonging to Christ, that should cause us and motivate us to live right and have right outcomes. We should be motivated to live for God in those cases. And when we are not, there's a problem. One more passage over in chapter 10. We're going to start reading in verse 26. Chapter 10, verse 26. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Now again, the Hebrew writer is, is being as bold as he can be regarding walking away from, from the gospel walking away from Jesus. You just, you don't do that. And if somebody goes on deliberately sinning after they know to stop sinning, there's not a second sacrifice in those cases. 
It's the same sacrifice that cleanses us in every instant. And if somebody has rejected the sacrifice that has cleansed them, what else are you going to give them? What other offering do we have? If that sacrifice of Jesus that he offered on the cross 2,000 years ago isn't enough for you, then I have nothing else to give you. I have nothing else that will help. And so if I decide to go on sinning willfully, knowing that that sacrifice was there to erase my sin, yet I'm going to continue to sin disregarding the cross of Jesus, then that's hurtful to God. It risks my destiny because I am rejecting the very thing that has saved me in the first place. And it seems to me that in this particular instance, if you look at it in context, the issue that's causing them to walk away from Jesus is that they're exhausted. Uh, Look with me, keep reading down in verse 32. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and affliction, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated this way, for you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. Seems that what, what they were growing tired of is how much was required of them in order to live this life for Jesus. We've talked about this some in our auditorium class as we've gone through the beginning of the book of Acts. We've talked about when you were signing up to belong to Jesus, you were signing up for a difficult life. I mean, look at this this list. I mean, could you imagine if we printed up some flyers that said, guaranteed you will be taunted and persecuted. Guaranteed, you will be arrested. Guaranteed, you will lose your possession. Come belong to Jesus today. How many people are signing up for that? But essentially in the first century, that's what you were signing up for. That's what it was going to be. You sign up to belong to Jesus, you lose everything you've ever known in some cases. Now, you gained other things. You gained a relationship with God. You, regained, you, you gained redemption. You gained a new family. And that's one reason fellowship was so important in the first century. But you lost so much. And it seems that these people were wearing out. They were tired of losing. And so it goes on to say, verse 35, so don't throw away your confidence which has a great reward. We read that this morning. For you need endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and are saved. Now, Here's what I want you to notice, because 
Sounds like, Adam, you just completely erased everything you said this morning. Anybody else have that feeling a little bit here? You know, you said we can have all the confidence in the world, and now you're saying that we can't have any confidence at all. That, that's not true. Not true. What I want you to notice is where we go wrong is where we, the, the standard by which we, we created for ourselves as to when we should lose confidence. You know, that, as far as I can read here, at least in Hebrews, these three very blunt and bold passages have said there are three reasons that you can lose your confidence. One is if you have just neglected or disregarded the covenant and the sacrifice. You've said, I don't care about it. I don't want it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. It is not for me. I am done. I don't know anybody in this room that describes but, but that, if, if that's your attitude, if that's your perspective on the cross of Jesus, then yes, you should have no confidence. The second one we talked about is someone who has rebelled against God. That does not mean I made a mistake, I misspoke. I, I, I found myself in sin and I'm coming back to the Lord from that. That, I, you know, that, that, that there's a difference between pursuing sin and messing up. And we oftentimes will talk about, well, if you mess up, you're probably going to hell. That, that's not the standard ever placed on us. What it says is if you pursue sin, if you rebel against the covenant, then you should probably not have any confidence. And then the last one there, if, we've, if we just give up, if we just quit, if we just say we're done with this, I don't want to have anything else to do. Now, in all three of these cases, what you'll notice, it is somebody who has walked away from Jesus. Not somebody who is, who is trying to obey Jesus but messed up, but somebody who has said, I am done. And, but that's not you and me. That's not us. We're not walking away from Jesus. Now, you can if you so choose, but that's not what the Hebrew writer is talking about. It's our situation that we often talk about with take heed, he who stands, lest he fall. No. What the Hebrew writer is saying is don't turn away from this. If you turn away from this, you can have no confidence. If you'll stick with it, you can have all the confidence in the world. Turn with me over to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to start reading here in verse 5. 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 5 down through chapter 2, verse 6. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and we are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I've come to know him, and yet does not keep his command, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. And this is how we know that we are, this is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. And we've talked about this recently, this idea of confession in this passage of scripture. That what we're confessing, it seems, by context, is not individual sins as much as it is a confession that we are sinners. That we have sinned and that we do sin. God says we are sinners, so we agree with him. Yes, we are sinners. But when we agree to that, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He's faithful and just to bring us redemption and make us clean and make us whole and righteous again. And we should do that because we want to be redeemed. We want to live sinlessly as much as possible. We want to live as redeemed people. We want to have confidence in our inheritance. Well, the only way to do that is not to pretend like we haven't sinned, but to live open with God about our sin so that he will cleanse us. See, my, my fear over the years, at least I've noticed this tendency in myself, is that this concept where we say any single sin you commit is is, is going to throw you into the fires of hell. What it causes us to want to do is pretend we have no sin. I, I don't, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be punished. I, and so I don't want the world to think I'm going to hell, or at least my brothers and sisters. And so I'm just going to pretend like I have no sin. And that's not, that's not what we should do. What what we're told is you are at risk of going to hell if you reject Jesus. But if you will follow Jesus, even when you sin, even when you mess up, even when there is a mistake, even when there is a, a problem that you are growing in and maturing and overcoming, even if there's something that you've struggled with through the years, but every year is a little better than the previous year because Christ is helping you and you've been cleansed from it and you are maturing and growing. You are trying to walk as Jesus walked. You're trying to walk in the light. You're trying to live as Jesus lived. you if, if that's what you're doing, but making some mistakes along the way, you can have confidence. You can know that as long as I'm walking in step with Jesus, I'm good to go. And that, that does not mean being perfect. Because if I claim to be perfect, I make God out to be a liar. 
What that means is I am striving for perfection and admitting when I make mistakes along the way. Those are two very different scenarios. And and I'm afraid that we have over the years promoted perfection, which is an unachievable standard for us, instead of promoting maturity, which is what we should all be striving for anyway. We have to be maturing. And if we are maturing, then we will have confidence. Turn with me back to 2 Peter chapter 1. Another passage that teaches essentially the same lesson, but with some different words and ideas. Verse 5, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness with love. For if you, if you possess these qualities and you possess them in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless are unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these qualities, these things, is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly supplied to you. So what's the standard that Peter lays out here for us? Is it perfection? It's growth. It's maturity. The standard that is put in front of us, what we should be pursuing as God's people, is not perfection. That doesn't happen. Notice here, Peter says, you've forgotten your cleansing from your past sins. The ones behind you. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, you're walking with Jesus, you are continually being forgiven for, from, for your past sin. That doesn't mean you're not going to mess up in the future. But you continue to pursue maturity and walk with Jesus in the light as he is in the light. You continue to walk the way he walked and grow in the ways that he was perfect And in so doing, you will become useful, you will become fruitful, and you will be assured that you have interest into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the standard that's put in front of us, the standard on which we can have confidence and assurance is not our performance. It's our pursuit. Do you see the difference between those two? Now, our pursuit will affect our performance, absolutely. If we are pursuing God and God's way, that will change the decisions that we make. But God isn't concerned necessarily with our performance. He's concerned that we are pursuing him and his way. 
And when we mess up along the way, we talk with them about it. We admit it. We don't hide it. We we admit it to our brothers and sisters. We don't hide it. We let people know, you know what, I, I messed up this week. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to be. I'm striving. I'm pursuing the right things. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm learning as I go along the way. When that's my mindset, my goal, my my focus, I don't sit there and wonder every single time I mess up, well, I didn't study my Bible today, I'm probably going to hell. Or, oh, I I should not have spoken to them that way. Let me get on my knees. Because if I don't confess every sin, well, then I'm going to remain guilty and I'm going to hell. That's unachievable. When that's the way you think about it, of course you won't have confidence. But when you recognize we have a God who wants to save us and has made every door open for that that can be open. We have a God who walks with us. John talks about us walking with God. You know what that also means? God walks with us. That he's there with us. He's, he's, he's on the path with us. And he's helping us along the way. That we have a God who will cause us to be fruitful, who will give us an, an entry ticket into heaven. Not based on earning it, not based on performance, but based on the fact that we've stayed with him. It's just a different way of looking at it. Back to Hebrews one more time. Hebrews chapter 13, the end of the book, says this starting in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want you to note here two main things out of this passage of scripture. One is God gives us everything we need to do this job. When we think of our walk with Christ in a performance basis, uh, based off of how good we do or how poorly we do, then we think it's all about us, that it's all about our performance, that if I make mistakes, God's hurling lightning bolts down at me, and if I do well, well, then God's up there applauding me. That's not the way this goes. God gives me what I need to do the job he has asked me to do. He equips me with everything I need. He does. Second piece here. He equips me so that I might do the work that pleases him. Him. I feel like I'm preaching one of my it's all about him sermons all of a sudden. Because it is. It is all about him. You see, I go back to that from this morning's lesson. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who wrote that story for us. He is the one who has written our story. He is the one who has made all of it possible. He is the one that we should be focused on when it comes to living and walking in the light. He is the focus, not us. And if we'll keep our eyes on him and our focus on him, then 
then we do have confidence because our trust is in his performance, not our own. And we struggle with that, brothers and sisters. We struggle with that. We struggle with knowing that, that he is truly the source of all of this and that our confidence is not based on us or on myself or on my performance, but it's based on his promises. All you got to do is pursue him. And you're going to do it imperfectly. You're going to mess up along the way. You're going to, there are going to be times where immaturity is going to stand between you and God. And there's going to be times when, when some, some selfish pursuit is going to step in. And there are going to be times when you, you, you get disheartened because it just seems like you can't overcome. And there are going to be times when the sin that you've committed sits there and, and just rears its ugly head again. And all of a sudden you're fighting the same problem you fought so many times before. There are going to be times when it seems like everything's a disaster. And what he says is, you know what? I know. I know about all that. Just walk with me. If we can do that, we will do well. Now, to go back to those three passages we already talked about, what if, what if I decide to not walk with him anymore? That's when you lose your confidence. But as long as I'm willing to walk with him, warts and all, mistakes along with accomplishments, defeats and victories, every single bit of me is with him every step of the way, then I can know I'm going to heaven. And I can know that he has saved me. I can know that my past sins, gone. They are not only forgiven, but they are not remembered. They're gone. And all I have is to look forward to is the future and doing better every day because I'm walking with him. If you're not walking with him, that begins with baptism. It, it well... That's not true. It begins before baptism. It begins when you decide that you're going to listen to and, and hear a message that will make all the difference in your life. It begins when you decide to turn around and live differently than you've been living. Live with God instead of living for self. It begins when you decide he will be Lord. It begins when he makes you clean for that first time. And here's the really awesome thing. He'll make you clean the first time of thousands of times. Because you're not just cleansed once, you are cleansed continually as long as you walk with him. And I hope if you've not committed yourself to God and accepted that great benefit, tonight's a good night to do it. He will make you whole again. If you need the invitation to get your life right, we encourage you to come forward and let us know as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. 
You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.